Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Sven Forkbeard. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Rats Factory, being all the kings and queens of England from Alfred the Great to Elizabeth II. Elizabeth II, let's go. You might have thought, because last time was George VI, that this would be Elizabeth II. I'm prepared. Uh, however, as you'll have seen from the title and heard from Ali's introduction there, this is Sven Forkbeard. <laughs> Not a strange uh, code name for the Queen. <laughs> well, all my research has gone to nothing, Graham. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Throw it all away. Just forget it. You'll never need it again, all okay. that Elizabeth II knowledge. Great. Basically, Sven Forkbeard, despite what you might have heard in previous episodes of Rex Factor, specifically Canute, Sven Forkbeard was actually the first Viking to become King of England. What about Canute? He was Canute's father. At the time, we were doing Ethelred the Unready. Mm. Then there was Canute. No, then there was Ebon Ironside. Then there was Canute. And there was a lot of overlap in three successive episodes where a few years were being done each time. So the entirety of Sven's reign was contained within Ethelred's episode. Okay, so we kind of covered him. We kind of covered him, but not in any real detail. But basically, at the time, we just thought, it's probably easy just to skip him over. The events were there, Yeah, but we didn't give him his own episode. Didn't give him his own episode. And we thought, before we get to the end, we should really remedy that fact. And it's a little Brucey bonus. Exactly. Who thought this was coming? And it's perfect timing, because it's the 1,000th anniversary of uh, his becoming king and he's actually this month's uh, History Magazine cover boy oh right so it's a good time for Sven Vorkbeard a bit of a revival nice so we planned that yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) all along before we get on to Sven just to say as ever uh, if you want to get in touch with us please do Uh, our various social media you can contact us on Twitter at RexFactorPod like us on the uh, Rex Factor podcast Facebook, Facebook page. page. Yep. Email us, rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. You can leave a review about us on iTunes. And if you subscribe to iTunes, you get all the episodes just appear in your yeah. iTunes automatically. And we get a little boost up the chart. Which, which we love. It gets quite quite exciting when I get those emails. And if you feel so inclined, you can also, on the rexfactor.podbean website, uh, leave uh, a donation via PayPal if you so like it's a free podcast but if you do want to donate then you can and thank you very very much to all the people that have done yeah it. which means I can eat exactly which is nice until <laughs> <laughs> so we have that biscuit before yeah, we start yeah. and uh, we should also probably say hello to various new listeners and uh, we've got a very very new listener that we probably should have mentioned last time but we didn't one relatively close to home oh <laughs> I have a new niece, yeah. which is sweet. I, I, she, she's a niece. Yeah, one of my only niece. <laughs> yeah. So obviously we're indoctrinating her, putting to sleep with the lullabies of Rex Factor, the opening <laughs> music, just to get in there. Yeah. Oh, she's sweet. So on to Sven Fortbeard, mm. or rather on to some backgroundy stuff, because it's been so long since we were doing all this stuff, we thought we should probably yeah. refresh yeah. our memories. So Sven is a Viking. Yeah, I love them. I mean, I'm so glad to be revisiting these guys. Vikings are cool. Viking in Old Norse means uh, pirate raid, or Vikingra means pirate, Vikja means to move swiftly, so it's sort of uh, a kind of combination of those yeah. words. Only actually appears in the OED in 1807. It wasn't really? that widely used until the Victorian era. Oh, right. Okay, so what do we do? We refer to them for as just Norsemen? Well, yeah, well, yeah, they would mean the Norsemen or the Danes or right. things okay. like this. 
we think of it just as being sort of 8th century when they attacked Lindisfarne but actually they've been a bit of a thorn in the side of various people for a while for the Romans they were a bit of a bother there was an alliance of uh, the Cimbri people which is kind of on the Danish peninsula Mm -hmm. and the Teutons, like Germans they expanded into southern France which took Romans about a generation to defeat Wow! and then Roman Britain they actually built lots of forts along the east coast to uh, presumably see off raiders from the sea Wow! so there's a long history of um, prickly people (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Scandinavia wasn't heavily populated for a while because it's pretty chilly up there Mm. and over there Uh, but when we had the little climactic optimum which was sort of a global warming after the fall of the Roman Empire um, that made it a little bit warmer people started to populate it a bit more Um, they were able to grow crops nice rich harvests and polar melts saw uh, flooding in the low countries and that's when we saw the Saxons and the Jutes heading over the channel and uh, settling in England. Oh, wow. But they were global traders. Um, So all over the world, particularly in the Middle East, they were doing a lot of trade. But then the supply of Afghan silver mines started to run out, so something of a crisis, financial crisis in the Islamic world. And Kiev princes disrupted trade routes between the Baltic and the Volga. The Vikings were kind of running out of place to get their money from. Um, Didn't have enough land for growth and livestock in Scandinavia. And the Byzantines saw them off with Greek fire mm. whenever they tried to invade oh, there. Brilliant stuff. So it, they needed easier pickings. Right. But it is so all of this stuff is forced by climate change and going on on the other side of the world. In climate change and uh, global economic crisis. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> a satire there, Graham. Well, we should, we should probably be watching out for the, uh, the Danes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. There we go, exactly. Uh, now, England this time, there wasn't really an England initially, so we had large kingdoms, what was many called the uh, heptarchies. There was East Anglia, Kent, Essex, Sussex, Wessex, which is sort of the going along all the south, mm. from sort of Southampton to Somerset. The left side, I think the you left. call it. Yeah. Well, it kind of went from the right to the left. Yeah. Uh, Mercia, which is kind of a very big Midlandsy kind of area. And Northumbria, which is obviously the northeast. Now, for us, the big event in terms of the Vikings really coming on our radar was Lindisfarne in 793. So Lindisfarne is this sort of ancient priory, a coastal site, so deliberately away from other settlements. Yeah. Peacefully on the edge by the by Place the for reflection. Place for reflection. Yeah. And place for storing all of your goods and your treasures and your charms and all this sort of thing. That sounds ideal. Ideal for Viking raiders. So this is the first record we've got of I think they actually, 780s, the first time, I think they killed one of the kings. Oh, okay. When he went to ask them who they were. (laughs) 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 But yeah, this is the first sort of big kind of scene at the start. So at the time, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle said, In this year there were excessive whirlwinds, lightning and fiery dragons were seen flying in the sky. These signs were followed by great famine, and a little after those that same year, the ravaging of a wretched heathen people destroyed God's church at Lindisfarne. Wow. Oh, God, that's a good chronicle. We should write one of those. If you know dragons are in the sky, that's yeah, got to be important. Yeah, trouble. I've worked some more about the dragons. So, this was our first interaction with them as mm. Vikings. Yeah. Did they ever come to visit as traders? Well, what they might have done, actually, is probably did a spot of trading, mm. sussed out where the uh, where the uh, goods were, and then come back. With a different hat on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think you'll see, sir, I'm now wearing my uh, reckless hoarder. <laughs> So, Vikings, uh, of course, have got these amazing ships, they're sort of long ships, but also yeah. shallow draft, which meant that England's long rivers um, allowed them to just come really quite far in 
to the country. Horus, yeah. yeah, and then launch these surprise raids. So from 865, increasingly formal armies, so rather than just these sort of ragtag bunch of adventurers, it's a little bit more structured now that they've realised the, the pickings that yeah. there are. So, they're all over the place. Uh, ambitions of conquest, they're capturing all of these different kingdoms, one by one, turning the resident kings either into sort of puppet kings, exiling them, or killing them, as happened in 869 to King Edmund, or Edmund the Martyr, as he became known. He was a king of East Anglia, and he was attacked by Ub Ragnarsson and Ivor the Boneless. Wow. Remember that Vikings have cool names. Yes, I forgot about this. He was beaten, tied to a tree, and lashed for refusing to renounce his Christian faith whilst at the same time the Vikings fired numerous arrows into his body. We didn't really get a chance to announce it. <laughs> not really. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're, set, they're not settling, they're just putting some... Oh no, yeah, they are sort of... Well, oh, they're okay. settling in certain places, but also setting up some kings just to do their bidding. Right. But others who show resistance. Yeah, sure trip, Pretty yeah. severely. So this means that pretty much all of England is actually coming under Viking control. So you've got York, Jorvik as a sort of Viking capital. So only Wessex is left in Anglo-Saxon mm. England, standing alone. So, 8-7... Actually, 8-7-1, Alfred the Great comes to the throne. Yep, please see Rex back at episode 2. Indeed. Our first monarch. 8-7-8, there was a surprise attack from the Viking leader Guthrum, which drove Alfred and his court into exile. So he's on this marshes of Athelney, mm. sort of in Somerset. And that's pretty much... That's it. England, at this point, is really just Alfred on a marsh mm. with nothing else. But he gathers his forces, launches a surprise attack on Guthrum in the Battle of Eddington, wins the day. Whee. Guthrum was baptised with Alfred as his sponsor. Uh, Wessex then builds, expands, neutralises the Viking threat by starting up these burrs, which are kind of oh, yeah. the fortified market towns. So, after that, we see a bit of a renaissance for the Saxons. Alfred's son, Edward the Elder, along with his sister, Ethelfled of Mercia, defeat more Viking armies, expand further north. Ethelfled captures York and the five boroughs. Then Athelstan, Edward the Elder's oh, yeah. eldest son, he establishes the full kingdom of England, so that's mm. where he just goes around conquering Collects everybody. Edmund I, his younger brother, reconquers the Midlands and Northumbria after a bit of a Viking recovery. His brother Edred, who had the stomach problem, ah oh, yes, yeah, his food. He was a great one. Uh, he had a bit of problem with Eric the Bloodaxe. He was awesome. Mm. Yes, he's still at the Jorvik Viking Centre. There's a big bit on him. Yeah, so he destabilised the Midlands, became sort of the last Viking king of York. But Edred saw him off and he was later probably murdered. Stability Mm. restored. A bit of an interlude with uh, Edwig, who had that threesome in the bed with his mother. Oh, Uh, Not his mother, his girlfriend (laughs) and her mother. Her mother, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And of course, our old friend Dunstan. Oh, the monk who was pretty much God. running the kingdom every single reign here. Yeah, uh, up to. He gets hold of the younger brother Edgar, and Edgar becomes his king, and they form a good partnership. Edgar the Peaceable. This is when Anglo-Saxon England kind of reaches its apotheosis, its yeah. golden era. So, period of strong rule. Edgar had this huge fleet which patrolled the coast. That no one's able to invade anymore. He sounds like he should have got wrecked right Oh, yes, I, I, I can't imagine that. So <laughs> we, I can't see a reason why have given him that. So, this is the height of Anglo Saxon England. At this point, the Vikings really just don't get a look in. Yeah. It's all Saxon. However, Edgar dies in his 30s in 975, and the nobles are rather divided, particularly over church policy. So, some align with the church and with Dunstan, want to keep things kind of as they are. still going. God. Others seek to win back the lands that the church has been appropriating and also some of the influence in the country. So you've got factions at court. Edgar's got two young sons. They're just kind of pawns for the nobles. 
Edward, the first king, is murdered in 978. So it becomes known as Edward the Martyr. Right. Not, not, oh, Edmund the Martyr was the East Anglia guy. He was East Anglia, right. Yeah. So, 978, Ethelred the Unready, just a child, becomes king. Mm. Um, With all this division going on, country ruled by these warring nobles, also his mother, who many thought might have ordered the murder of Edward the Martyr. And there's not a lot of focus, really, on running the country in quite the way that there was under Edgar the Peaceable. Mm. So in the 980s, the old guard who'd been at court for so long start dying off. England's very wealthy, but doesn't have quite such strong leadership. The defences have been allowed to go. 980, the Vikings are back. They raid Southampton, Thanet, Cheshire, for the first time in decades they've been able to do this. Initially, it's not of much concern. It's quite localised. However, it all changes in 991 with the Battle of Malden. This is all really far south. Southampton's on the south coast. Oh, yeah, they're all along the coast. Vikings, basically. Um, So a large Viking force raided the east coast, but then did battle with the Saxon army at Malden. Uh, Much bigger in scale than previous raids, so it's a proper army rather than just raiders. So the Saxon leader, a senior elderman, Britnoth, who'd been there since the days of Edwig, Mm. allowed them to cross that causeway. Yes. Fought a battle. And lost. And lost. Now, Graham, I should point out, is from Malden. I am. So um, it's a bit of your history going on Indeed, here. Indeed, and I've got a Britnoth mug. And I've unfortunately been given a Dunstan <laughs> one that I'm drinking from. But there's he there's a statue to him at the end of the um, waterfront there. There is indeed. And now point. he is there, mm. standing, sword held aloft, <laughs> yes, which I've often said pose. is the Rex Act pose. Was he particularly Rexy? What's going on there? Uh, we'll come back to him okay. in Battle of right. actually the Battle of Malden. Uh, the important thing at this point, however, is he's killed, the Saxons lose, and for the first time they pay the Vikings what's called the Danegeld, mm. i.e. money to make them go away. So initially £10,000 of silver. Now, as you pointed out, very lovely, I was listening to the old episode, you said it was like paying wasps to leave you alone by giving them jam. <laughs> very, very clever. <laughs> and that's what happens, of course, the Vikings keep coming back. Yeah. The problem for Ethelred and the Saxons is that Denmark has been getting pretty strong. And in right. fact, it's been becoming Denmark. Because initially, the Vikings, they're lots of disparate tribes, really. They're not really unified central states. Yeah. Denmark, what we now know as Denmark, had the most fertile part of Scandinavia, so it had a denser population. And it's got better access to the Baltic. So they kind of got a bit of a head start over the mm. others. And then in 936, we have the first historical king of Denmark, Gorm the Old. Ooh, poor bloke. Not one of the better. No, he <laughs> pulled a dead card then. He? he started to eliminate uh, his sort of Danish rivals and unify the country a little bit more, so it's mm. starting to become less disparate. Um, he didn't have any time for Christianity. Um, no. He was resolutely pagan, tormented his Christian subjects. <laughs> Teasing them or <laughs> killing them. Yeah, killing them, I think. Now, we had three sons, Canute, not that Canute, right. Harold and Toke. Canute was his favourite and also a pagan. They'd yeah. go off worshipping Thor and Odin and killing Christians. And uh, Gorm apparently was worried that there were threats against Canute's life, so he swore that he would kill anyone who threatened Canute. Which included if anybody came along and told him that Canute was dead. What? He'd kill the messenger, basically. Oh. Unfortunately, Canute was killed uh, whilst campaigning in Ireland. <laughs> oh, no. And Gorm was out at the time when no. the news came in. So the court apparently just decided to dress everything kind of in mourning colours and then just sat there in silence. So when Gorm came in, no one would speak to him. Brilliant. Until eventually he realised what had happened. Oh, that's great. What a brilliant idea. Because he would actually, he'd yeah. definitely have killed him. Yeah. That's ridiculous. So Gorm, uh, apparently of a broken heart, dies a few days, a few weeks later in 958. Oh, 
Now, he is replaced by his son, Harold Bluetooth. Modern. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, now, he said to have got a bad relationship with Gorm. It may have been that Gorm thought that Harold was probably the one who had designs on the throne and might have wanted to kill mm. Gorm. But it was really Harold who makes Denmark a centralised, unified state. So he gets rid of all, no more little tribal leaders. Harold is really recognised as king of the whole lot. He makes Denmark this sort of centralised kingdom. He captures some of the eastern provinces of Norway as well, so oh, right. expanding his empire a little bit. Huge building projects, which show how much sort of royal power he has. A large bridge near Ravning to cross the uh, River Vage, or Vale. Uh, it was apparently the bridge was half a mile long, mm. 18 feet wide, and about 4,000 oak trees. Good grief. He used to do it. So you think how much organisation and strategy yeah. you need to be able to do that. And stability, because that must have taken years. Mm. He also expanded a thing called the Daneverk, which is sort of 20 mile defensive barrier on their southern borders. That's right. sort of near the Germans. Yeah. And uh, also these really sophisticated geometrical fortresses, sort of military fortresses, mm. such as uh, famously one at Trelleborg, which really surprised archaeologists when they found it in the 20th century, because they thought, oh, these Vikings must have been a bit more sophisticated than we thought. Yeah, so well, kind of all in the same plan and design and oh wow, all very sophisticated. Rather than just a hilltop with a palisade around it, a proper yeah. thought through fortification. Mm. Now, in 965, Harold was visited by a priest called Popo. Sorry, now Popo. Pop, right, Popo naturally. the priest. Yep. Uh, and an, he went to a feast. Yes. Where they were drinking to Thor and to Odin, and he asserted to all these hairy, shouty, drunk Vikings <laughs> that actually there's only one god. Oh. Goodness me, what an error. So Harold demanded that he prove his faith by ordeal, so inserted his hand into a red-hot metal glove. Mm. Who's got one of those just kicking around? Well, I guess they had a metal glove and they just... <laughs> so, I know, got an idea. Yeah, right. Bear with me, it'll only be <laughs> ten days. Yeah. Uh, and when he removed his hand, it wasn't burnt at all. How did he do it? Uh, well, obviously it was a miracle. Oh, and okay. Harold took this as proof of uh, Christianity and converted Denmark to Christianity. Easy. So he's the first Viking to do that. Okay. Denmark. Alternatively to it being a miracle, um, there was a man called Otto the First, who was king of Germany and then Italy, and he becomes the first sort of official Holy Roman Emperor. Mm. We'd had Charlemagne before, but this is kind of the first sort of real line that we get. And he became Holy Roman Emperor in 962, and he had designs on expanding his area of influence. So when you've got these pagans just above your northern borders, they're obviously pretty fair game. Yeah. So what Howell does, converts to Christianity, can't invade. Oh, clever. Very clever. clever. Right. So it may have been a pragmatic decision yeah. rather than Popo's miracle. Okay. Pop- did this go Popo? Are you sure you don't mean <laughs> the Pope? <laughs> I'm very <really> sure it's <laughs> Popo. He builds these huge stones called the Gelling Rune Stones. They're carved with runic messages. So it's to honour his father and his mother and his conversion of Denmark to Christianity. So it's effectively the foundation stone of Denmark, still on Danish passports. Really? Today, it's really is amazing. Is it still there? It is still there. It's in this wow. sort of encased in a sort of glass cool. cabinet. But yeah, you can go and see. And why is it called Bluetooth? Um, apparently he had a love of blueberries, which yep. was said to have stained his teeth. Oh, Blue. that makes more sense. How he yeah. came to the nickname. However, you said about how it was quite a modern-sounding <laughs> name. In the 1990s, uh, Ericsson, uh, the company, were developing a new no. wireless technology, allowing electronics to link together. And so I had all these different communicating tools where they couldn't speak to each other yeah. in one way. And this guy, Jim Kardak, who'd been reading this book, which included how Bluetooth, was impressed by the way that he brought all these disparate Danish kingdoms together. That's brilliant. So he suggested, initially just as the code name, Bluetooth. 
Yeah. So they were all thinking, well, okay, we'll just call it Bluetooth for now, but we'll come up with something better. The guys at marketing. The KX312. So they came up with all these other names. Apparently one of them was Flirt. (laughs) And the tagline was going to be, close, but not touching. (laughs) That's first bit. I mean, yeah, marketing-wise. So then, yeah, they just stayed with Bluetooth. It seemed to work. And the symbol that you get for Bluetooth, the little thing, there's actually runic symbols for the letters H and B, Harold Bluetooth. This is, without doubt, my favourite Rex fact. It's mine as well. This that is, is brilliant. That is, oh, that's made my day. So from Harold Bluetooth, we get the inspiration for Bluetooth technology. It's so appropriate that it was Ericsson as well. Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> so, he's, he's achieved quite a lot there. That's yeah, quite a lasting I mean, <laughs> But he does go into a bit of a decline. The warrior elite uh, don't like this increased uh, royal control. And 973, Otto II, the son of Otto I, becomes Holy Roman Emperor. So Harold thinks, I know, I'll just test his mettle, launch his little raid on Holstein. Mm. Bad idea. Otto II draws up a huge army, breaks through the Danish defences, invades Denmark, occupies little bits and imposes peace terms that aren't too good. See? He also loses control of Norway. Mm. And then 987, he's ousted by his son in a rebellion and probably dies from his wounds. Right. Okay. And now, his son yes. is Sven Forkbeard. Sven Forkbeard. So, Sven Forkbeard. Yep. Born in about 960. Mm. We don't know entirely. Uh, son of Harold Bluetooth. And we're not sure... <laughs> Bluetooth. Oh, dear, yeah. <laughs> we're not sure who his mother is. Possibly Tove, possibly Gunhild. Uh, and he becomes king of England in 1013, when he's about 53 years old. Now, his relation to Elizabeth II, initially... <laughs> oh, yes, I forgot we do this. <laughs> initially, I was going to put that he was the father-in-law of the 27th great-grandaunt. Yeah. However, he does, unlike Canute, he does actually have a direct link to Elizabeth oh, II. Because all through the Middle Ages, so much chopping and changing. He had a daughter, Estrid, um, who is effectively the sort of matriarch for the... Danish kings from there on in. She came up with email, didn't she? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah. Estrid at <laughs> spendetta.com. Uh, but there's one Margaret of Denmark, many years later, who marries James III of Scotland, and she is descended from Estrid, who is the daughter of Sven. And of course, James III of Scotland, so that's a Stuart, so when we get to James VI of Scotland, James I of England. Yeah. It all comes back into life. So I'm not sure what the exact thingy is, whether oh, it's like 28th. Yeah. Well, if you know, 17 times removed. But yeah. If you want to work it out, let us know. His beard, of course, parts like mm. it like a fork. Yeah. Hence the nickname. Unlike all the episodes we've been doing recently, where there's just loads and loads and loads of information, for Sven, it's a little bit tricky to establish what's fact and what's fiction. Yeah. A lot of the sources we have in Scandinavia are actually a bit biased against Sven. Right. Or their sort of semi fictional sagas. Yeah. Adam of Bremen presents him as something of a heretic. Uh, another one, Thietmar of Merisburg, who presents him as Rex Tyrannus. The thing is that because there are all these different factions in the area, mm. they might have reasons to so dislike they, him. their history is written down. Exactly. Yeah. So they're boosting their chosen yeah. master. Right. Sven is the enemy. Yeah. He's bad. On the other side, we have the Encomium Mi, which is um, very partisan the other way. Anglo-Saxon Chronicle doesn't have an awful lot of detail about him. Mm. So it's kind of hard piecing it all together. Even his parentage, we're not 100% sure about. Some claim that it was questioned and that Harold Bluetooth wouldn't acknowledge him as king. Couldn't link up. Indeed. So in 1042, a monk in St. Omer claimed that Harold was growing envious of Sven's increasing popularity and swore he would never succeed. 
Right. So it may have been that this bad relationship, combined with the, sort of the old medieval pattern that the oldest son attracts the rebels yeah. at court, the nobles who don't like the king, sure enough, you have this reaction against his failures with Norway and Germany. Sven leads an uprising, as we said, held out. Yeah, so Sven, you know, he takes the Danish kingdom by force from his own father. Yeah, well, that's kind of in his favour. Indeed, not a man to be messed with. Now, Adam, Adam of Bremen claims that Eric the Victorious of Sweden... Not very Viking. No, <laughs> uh, that he then invaded Denmark and Sven was exiled for 14 years in Scotland. Right. So it may have been just a bad by association for Sven. Oh, right. But he might have been exiled briefly, but he soon recovered and then married Eric's widow. Yeah. Which made him the stepfather of the King of Sweden, who then paid him tribute. Uh, hang on, so the stepfather, is he... Sven gets the throne back from Eric the Victorious. Yeah. Eric dies. Yeah. Sven marries Eric's widow. Right. And you. then is the stepfather of Eric's yeah, son, son, who yeah. is the new King of Sweden. So the King of Sweden is now in his back pocket. Okay, great. And he's back in Denmark, Sweden yeah. in his pocket. And he re-establishes his dominance over Norway, pushes the Germans out. And he's got a few chums up in Scotland. Maybe he has some chums up in Scotland as well. Now, he's not completely predominant... Um, in Scandinavia, there are other people who are vying for position. One such man who dominates the sagas is Olaf Tryggvason. Right. He's said to have been the great grandson of a first king of Norway, Harold Fairhair, nicknamed Crowbone because he had a hobby of reading omens. Oh, yeah, scattering bones and all that. He was born in southern Norway to a local chieftain, very colourful life, goes into exile in Sweden, travels the Baltic, goes to the court of Vladimir the Great of Kiev, more like it, marries a Polish princess, rules mm-hmm. half the country till she dies in 990. And then he starts leading numerous raiding parties in the North Carolinian Empire. And later, of course, in England. And Olaf Tryggvason is the one who, in the sources, is credited as leading the Viking forces at Malden in right. 991. Okay. So Olaf Tryggvason. Against our man... Britnoth. So, in 994, Sven and Olaf, who may have been brothers-in-law, again, all the relationships are a bit tricky to track right. because of all the sagas, but Olaf and Sven, definitely working together, and launch a joint invasion... 94 ships, about 2,000 men, and they attacked London. Oh, right. Well, they met fierce resistance, so instead they got some horses and just harried East Anglia in the southeast instead. Easier, isn't it? They're better at that. Got £16,000 Dane girls, hop it back home. Yeah, nice. However, Olaf doesn't hop it with Sven, because Ethelred the Unready has a plan. Mm. He is going to baptise Olaf. That's quite an outrageous plan. So the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles said, King Ethelred stood sponsor for Olaf at baptism and rewarded him royally. And Olaf promised that he would never come against England again in an enmity. And he did just as he promised. So he, took, he wrote a letter saying, I'd really like to baptise you. Yep. And he said, all right. Yep. Came along, got baptised, and went home, end of booze cruise. Exactly. Right. Divide and rule was Ethelred's plan here. Because what they'd done is set up Olaf up as a Christian, which gives him a certain status in Europe. Mm. Probably a decent amount of money. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a kind of backing. So Olaf's like, okay, I'm going to go back home and uh, make me king of Norway. Right, okay, so that's very clever of um, our guy over here. Yeah, so 995, he goes back, and of course Sven has got, supposedly, his overlord of parts of Norway, so this is quite an impact on Sven's prestige, and also Danish security, if suddenly you've got this powerful king yeah. who's a rival to you. Yeah. So Sven has to head back to Denmark as well to deal with it. So Olaf founds the seat of government in Trondheim. Now, he, he is a Christian, Olaf, but he likes sort of a good old Viking. He doesn't quite get it. 
Some stuff works well. He uh, converts Norway and the Orkney Islands, baptises Leif Eriksson, who's the man who discovered America. Oh, yeah. The Viking that discovered yeah. America, incredibly. Ericsson, yeah. And uh, sends him back to uh, convert Greenland. But if anybody didn't want to be Christian, then Olaf, this is where he sort of was found a little lacking. <laughs> Fast and loose with the rules. Railed the strong. When he refused to convert, he was killed by, um, the, basically, they got a snake, goaded it with a hot poker so that it would go down a drinking horn which placed down his throat. Oh, so the snake went down. the snake down his throat. Yeah. Oh, but where? Which page is that in the Bible? I can't remember. <laughs> so, he's doing all this Christianisation of Norway yep. in his own inimitable fashion. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sven is making alliances to get rid of him. So, allies himself with Olaf Skotunum, who's the king of Sweden, mm. and of course in his back pocket, and also a man called Jarl Erik, who's the son of Jarl Haken of Norway, who's a man who sort of loses territory in effect because right. of what Olaf's going on. And he also marries a woman, potentially, called Sigrid the Haughty. <laughs> I'd, yeah, I'd just go through the phone book and say that one. <laughs> Apparently um, she'd seen off previous suitors by inv- inviting them all to a banquet and then she just locked the door and burnt it down. What have they done wrong? <laughs> I don't know. That's just, terrifying. Just pestering. Yeah, all it's the always time. phone calls. Leave me alone. On the flirt messaging Burn service. It down. <laughs> yes. Close, but... <laughs> And uh, Olaf makes a bit of a mistake when uh, he proposes, but she refuses to convert. Yeah. So he slaps her with his glove. Error. To which she says, this may someday be thy death. Yeah, she is terrifying. So she marries Sven. Right. Is she any relation to the guy who would literally kill the messenger? <laughs> well, They've got a similar temperament. Yeah. Sven's sister, Theory, on the other hand, marries Olaf in revenge for Sven not paying her a dowry, which is going to marry to somebody else. God, this, hang on, this has got really confused all of a sudden. So Sven marries a woman that turned Olaf down. Right, yeah. And Olaf slapped. And then Olaf marries the sister of Sven. So they're now buddies? They're related? I uh, know, that the two women are women scorned in various ways. Okay. So they so both want war. They're running the joint. Also, I should point out, it's possible that neither of these women ever exist. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Which is what the sagas tell I mean, us. she sounds outrageous. It's more fun to imagine that the sagas are 100% true. Yeah, yeah definitely. Dragons are flying overhead. <laughs> yeah, we know this, it's written exactly. down in book form. So, basically what happens is, Olaf is trying to get an alliance with the king of Poland, a man called Boleslav. Huh? Boleslav. Oh, okay. So, he summons an armada of about 60 ships... It's not clear quite what happens next. Either he dismisses his fleet or he sets off before waiting them all to arrive. But he goes to Poland, makes some kind of agreement with Boleslav, but then he has to come back through hostile waters in order to get to Norway. Right. And there is an ambush. And he's only got 11 ships. Mm. Whereas Sven and Olaf and all these other people, much bigger Mm. fleet. So we have the Battle of Svold, this huge naval Viking longship. Wow. Battle. You don't assume them, uh, imagine them fighting each other. You don't imagine, but they did. At sea. Brutal, brutal battle. Olaf is defeated and killed, and thus Sven, predominant in Scandinavia, either directly or indirectly, pretty much ruling. The whole lot. The, whole the lot. kit and caboodle. Right. For England, of course, this isn't such good news. So the divide and rule failed. Well, it worked for a few years. Yeah, oh, true. It takes yeah. a good five years to deal with this. Okay. But and meanwhile, they've been building their defences, or is well, it getting ready? Not quite ready. Yeah. Um, although Sven was busy, he still had some of his retainers who kept on plundering mm. a little bit for those five years. So, southern Wales, the southwest of England, the south coast, Kent, Sussex, Devon, based in the Isle of Wight. 
Moving all the way around. It's a huge journey. 10,002, a £24,000 Dane Geld payment. Wow. So it's still doing the damage. Wow. And pretty yeah. everywhere is being hit. They're, but I, I mean, I know I said that analogy before, but paying off people not to attack you, it's like paying protection record money. How could they not see it? It's appeasement again. Yeah. It's just, this is ridiculous. Now, in 2000, 2002, in 1002, Ethelred was warned that the Danes would faithlessly take his life and then all his counsellors and possess his kingdom afterwards. Mm. So Ethelred gave orders that all the Danes who had sprung up in this island, sprouting like cockle amongst the wheat, were to be destroyed by a most just extermination. How is he proposing it? Well, it's just going to kill lots of the, all the Vikingy people that are living in England. Oh, right. There's a lot yeah. of Danes. Oh, right. Just, oh, well. okay. Some have settled, others are just right. around. So we have... It was on St. Bryce's Day that this sort of order was given out. Um, so we have St. Bryce's Day massacre. Genocide? It's not entirely clear how widespread it was. Many people said it was actually unlikely they could have got into the Dane law, which is effectively sort of Danish territory in England. Like York? Or like, is that, York yeah, right. like York. Like uh, York. But certainly uh, there was a sanctuary in Oxford at the Church of St. Fritside where many went into the church thinking sanctuary and a little like Sigrid the Haughty church was burnt down wow. with the Vikings inside it wow goodness me so a lot of people killed it's not clear how many one of these uh, people was a woman called Gunhild mm. who was apparently a sister of Sven Forkbeard oh dear wasn't the best thing to oh do oh dear yeah. not content with giving the wasp jam to make him go away <laughs> you then squash squash his mate squash his mate mm. So, Actually, that's a good analogy, because when you do that, other wasps come back. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There you go, you see. <laughs> so it doesn't work very well. Clear incitement for vengeance. And in 1003, Sven comes back. Harry's really far inland, Wilton, Salisbury, Wessex, Heartland. Mm. This is now. Returns to Denmark in 1005, because there was a really severe salmon in England. Salmon? <laughs> a severe salmon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. What's oh. it doing? Napping at <laughs> A severe famine oh, in England. Uh, they should have used the giant salmon. Yeah, well, that's yeah. maybe that's ran out. Yeah. So 1006, however, he came back again. Yeah. And then once that, and marched even further inland, seeing off weak resistance, that once again in 1007 they pay him to leave. Right. Now, in 1009, another chap appears on the scene, Thorkel the Tall. Another Dane brings over a very large force, again raiding all over the country, nationwide, until about 1012. Now, at this point, the Archbishop of Canterbury, a man called Elfhir, is taken captive. Oh, thank God it's not Dunstan anymore. Dunstan is no yeah. longer with us, sadly. And Elfhir refused for any ransom to be paid for him, so drunk Vikings threw cattle bones at him until they got bored and just finished him off with an axe. How tall was this chap? We don't know how tall Thorkel the Tall We can was. presume pretty tall. We must imagine, mm. unless it's like the no, opposite of little yeah, job. Yeah. Um, but Thorkell isn't very happy about this. He'd actually personally offered to pay the ransom to well, try and get... Well, just doing the decent thing okay. rather than killing an archbishop. Mm. So when this happens, he defects to Ethelred with 45 ships and gets paid 48,000 Dengeld. Mm. So he's now on Ethelred's side. Right. And Sven, it's not quite clear when he thought about invading England... Um, Ethelred had feared the plot in 1002, hence the Bryce, uh, St. Bryce's Day Massacre, 1002 to 07. Sven was probably increasingly aware of how 
limited England's defences were. Mm. But he may also have been a bit concerned about what Thorkell was doing and fearing another Olaf Trigvason situation where either Thorkell tries to take England for himself or he gets money and goes right, back to Denmark. Yeah. So, in 1013, Sven invades England. Okay. And this time it's about conquest. Yeah. Lands in Sandwich, goes north to Gainsborough. Yeah. <laughs> you just love it. Sorry, it's such a silly name. <laughs> Uh, goes north to Gainsborough, yeah. which becomes his capital. In fact, he sets up base in Gainsborough. Yes, this was on the BBC recently. Mm. Yeah, uh, secures hostages and submission from the Danelaw. This is sort of the north, northern bit. Then he goes south. Initially goes to London, but once again the city provides strong resistance. Mm. So instead, hops over to the southwest, Bath, etc. Until everyone pretty much is submitted. London thinks, mm, don't really want to feel his wrath. If we keep on saying no, London submits as well. They just not let him in then. So oh yeah, and fight him off a bit as well. Right, so okay. The fighting goes on. Ethelred goes into exile in Normandy mm. via the Isle of Wight, and as the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle said of Sven Forkbeard, the whole nation regarded him as full king. John of Worcester recounts what happens next. After many cruel atrocities which he perpetrated both in England and in other lands. The tyrant Sven filled up the measure of his damnation by daring to demand enormous tribute from the town where the incorrupt body of the precious martyr Edmund lay. This is the Edmund the martyr, the Stangling, oh, yeah. all the arrows found in him. A thing no one had dared do before. He very frequently threatened that if it were not speedily paid, he would destroy utterly the martyr's church, and he would torture the clergy in various ways. In addition, he frequently disparaged the martyr himself in many ways. Because there were no bounds to his malice, divine vengeance did not allow the blasphemer to live any longer. At last, when the evening was approaching of the day on which, at the general assembly which he held at Gainsborough, he repeated the same threats, at a time when he was surrounded by Danish troops crowded together, he alone saw St. Edmund, armed, coming towards him. When he had seen him, he was terrified and began to shout very noisily, saying, Help! Fellow warriors, help! St. Edmund is coming to kill me! And while he was saying this, he was run through fiercely by the saint with a spear, and fell from the stallion on which he sat, and, tormented with great pain until twilight, he ended his life with a wretched death on the 3rd of February, 1014. So what did he actually die of? Well, the Saxons are claiming that the ghost of St. Edmund the Martyr speared him. Right, yeah. The Danes uh, suggest that he maybe just fell from his horse unspeared. Right. Uh, Snorri Sturluson stated that uh, King Sven had died suddenly in his bed at night. Mm. We don't know exactly, but what we do know is that on the 3rd of February 1014, Sven Forkbeard died. Oh, I don't know which one to believe. Initially he's buried at York, but he was then exhumed and reburied in Denmark at Roskilde. Because there was a concern that Ethelred comes back mm. would probably destroy the body. Oh, so quite, quite soon after he was buried there, they, yeah. they took him back to yeah. Roskilde. So he dies... About 54 years old, having been King of England, but not for very long. But he was crowned. Uh, he, he wasn't was recognised. He wasn't crowned, but he was acknowledged as yeah. king okay. by everybody. Right. Fine. So that's the life and times of Sven Forkbeard. Let's do him. Let's review him. Battleiness. So, a lot of battleiness, it's fair to say. That's his, that's his thing, isn't it? That is his thing. Initially, of course, he captures his, his own throne, the Danish throne, from yeah. his father... Strong centralised state, so you know, it's uh, 
no mean thing. He's also credited with pushing the Germans back, Otto II, back beyond the Daneberg. And if he was exiled, as some people claimed, then at some point he obviously came back. Yeah. And we can yeah, presume yeah. that he probably... Was armed. Was armed <laughs> yeah. at the time and used them to good effect. Now, as you said, Olaf Tryggvason is the traditionally sourced person as the Viking leader in the Battle of Molden. He's the only named individually in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. But this may be because of hindsight, because they know Olaf's role later when he gets baptised right. by Ethelred. He wasn't king of Norway until 995. So at this point, in 991, for Molden, he's really just something of a charismatic, but essentially just wayward adventurer. For such a large army, it would have required someone of real standing to be able to have that many sort of ties of obligation. Yeah. To be able to bring them together and keep them together and command them. Mm. To have the relevant authority. And pay? Uh, well, obviously, the Saxons did that. Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah, right, <laughs> That's yeah. the bonus of a Viking them. army. Yeah. Yeah. Free to run. So many historians have now suggested that the person most likely to have been the leader of the Battle of Molden for the Vikings would have been Sven Forkbeard. He's so, king of Denmark. Yeah. He's got rule over bits of Norway, ties of allegiance in Sweden. He's yeah. the one who's got the capacity to call on all these people across Scandinavia. Would it be possible that he, that the other guy then, um, how do you say his name? Trygvason. Olaf Trygvason. Trygvason was operating on his behalf, on Sven's behalf then. Well, it's probably it's a good chance that Olaf was there, given that he's mentioned. Yeah. And Sven is not mentioned as having been at Molden. So he could have sent him with a whole retinue of people. Possibly could have sent him. It's possible that Sven might have been elsewhere in East Anglia and Olaf had control of that army. Right. Or it's possible that Sven was actually there at Molden, leading the Viking troops. Right. Okay. But only because... We only think this because he was the guy with the most power. Well, and there was a man called Elthric of Bocking... Mm-hmm. Bocking in Essex. Bocking in Essex. Yeah, right. And Ethelred con- later confirmed um, his will. He was a minor nobleman in Essex, but there had been a question over his involvement in a plot to receive Sven in Essex when he first came there with a fleet many years before Ethelric died. And there's no mention of Sven being in England again until 1003, 1002, 1003. Mm. So this must have been sometime earlier. Then 991. Well, earlier than sort of the 995, right. whatever, mm. which suggests, well, earlier than that... Oh, would be 991. The would be 991. Yeah. So that suggests that there was a plot to receive Sven as king as early as 991, presumably in East Anglia or in Essex, which suggests Sven might have been there at the time. Yeah. And thus might have been at the Battle of Molden. Okay. Okay, good detective work. Mm. Now, the Battle of Molden is one of the most uh, significant and sizable battles in... Anglo-Saxon mm. history. Um, Vikings had sent about 93 ships, Harried Folkestone, Sandwich, yeah, <laughs> sorry, and Ipswich before reaching Northy Island. So they could only reach Molden by this very narrow causeway. Mm. And because of tides meant that there are only certain points you can get there. And it's so narrow that actually you can defend it with just a few uh, well-trained warriors. Yeah. Which is what Britnoth is getting his men to do. However... The Vikings saying, "Oh, chap, this is a bit, this is a bit rum. What? We have a battle, do it <laughs> yeah. fairly." Yeah. So Britain kill you legitimately. So Britain says, "All right, come over then." That's just a, such a crashing error. Well, you say um, J.R.R. Tolkien believes that criticised the pride of Britain for letting them over, thinking yeah. he could win. Yeah. On the other hand, he was a very senior military figure. He probably must have had some success in the past. He may have thought that he could have won. Alternatively. If he hadn't fought the Vikings then, they could just have easily got back in their ships and gone further down the coast, where it wouldn't have been well defended. Yeah, there is that. So you could say he had to 
fight them somewhere and better to do it when you've got a big army rather than just let yeah, them rampage everywhere else so he was he was gambling on the fact that he could have won rather than just sort of keeping them on the island mm. and they definitely couldn't have got across but yeah. they could have gone elsewhere on the other hand Vikings probably not likely to fight because they <laughs> I wouldn't say this to their face but they're <laughs> kind of cowardly the Vikings what are you saying they don't like to fight battles unless they're really really sure that they're going to win that's just sense. It is sensible. <laughs> but you imagine Vikings just running around crazily yeah. with axes, killing everything. Actually, they like to just go in, kill some women and children and old men, steal the money, and then mm. rush back to the ships. Mm. So any, unless they've got definitely bigger numbers, any sign of resistance, they think, oh, it's not worth it. Mm. Go somewhere well, else. They did do rather well on the back of it. Well, it is sensible, to be yeah. fair to them. The battle, of course, Britnoth is killed very early on. Right. in the battle he was uh, quite a tall man grey haired sort of 60 odd mm. so very easy to identify some people fled the battle of the Saxons one did so on Britnoth's horse which meant that many people thought Britnoth was fleeing right. Charles as well but his liegemen died fighting around the body which is celebrated in this poem the battle of Maldon which after Beowulf was probably the most famous yeah now if Sven was the leader of this that's quite a good it's feather huge. in his cap isn't it yeah Right, okay. So if points. Sven was there... If, yeah, that's it, though. There is that question mark, mm. we don't know. What we do know is that he was at the Battle of Svold. Yeah. This Viking longship battle. Not entirely certain where it was. Legend states that Olaf was turning home from Wendland, as it would be known to Norway, but could have been Orisund, could have been Zealand, could have been Rugen, or indeed this island of Svolder. Yeah. Wherever it was, Olaf apparently only had about 11 ships, but he did have the Long Serpent which was the most famous and largest Viking longship, 34 pair of oars, and it was about 45 metres long. Wow. And with unusually high size. It's really huge, long, yeah. massive, imposing ship. And Olaf the Swede huh. had uh, about somewhere between 15 and 60 ships, depending, depending on which saga source you, uh, you look at. Yeah. Eric had between 5 and 22 mm-hmm. And Sven had between 30 and 60. So all in all, the Allies had sort of from 70 to sort of, you know, 100-odd. It's still double the, the number, at least. Well, yeah, well, at least triple, if not yeah. ten times as so many as Olaf. Right. Massively, massively outnumber Olaf Tryggvason. But they fight the battle. Um, Olaf tied all the ships together, mm. his 11 ships, and they had the Long Serpent in the middle. So because it's so much bigger, it's effectively like a little fort. So they can wow. be firing arrows down. Oh, like a, yeah, onto the other ones. Yeah, yeah like a, a concentric yeah. defence. Really long and brutal battle. The sagas claim that it lasted so long the combatants ran out of arrows and the sword started to go blunt. Wow. And then Sven and his allies have a gradually capture ship by ship, one by one, moving in. Till That's eventually, amazing. Till eventually they get to the central one of the Long Serpent. Again, any Hollywood directors, please <laughs> make this film. Olaf, wounded in the shoulder, but fights on effectively because he's on the Long Serpent. It's effectively the last man standing. They're all just yeah, moving yeah, in yeah, sure. on him. So then, rather than be captured or, and then killed, obviously, he chose to leap overboard in his uh, scarlet cloak and his armour. Presumed dead. Yeah. He's never confirmed to see him again, but there are rumours that he survived. Um, either angels or dolphins or just a nearby ship that no one was looking <laughs> at may have helped him out. Sightings in Rome and Jerusalem, allegedly gifts to his own sister and indeed Ethelred long after the battle. The last reported sighting was as late as 1046. Really? So he was, But he was never seen? 
never officially seen again. And we don't know exactly where the battle was, mm. but are all of them fairly coastal, I presume? Yeah, they're all sort of... So it is sort of possible, region. then? It's possible, but very unlikely that he survived jumping into the freezing water in his full <laughs> In his armour. Oh, yeah, OK. <laughs> the outcome was a massive victory for Sven, re-establishes him as overlord of Norway, even more so, in fact, now, because he's mm. got more bits of it. Direct acquisition of the Vic territory, and with Olaf gone, he's removed his only really significant rival in Scandinavia. Mm. And if that battle wasn't cool enough, it took place on the 9th of September in the year 1000. Or so the sagas tell us. But mm. actually, the way that they recorded the dates wasn't quite the same as us. Right. So historians now think that it took place on the 9th of September, 999, i.e. the 9th of the 9th. 999. Wow. That's, if only they'd have, they'd have definitely seen that as an omen. Yeah. <laughs> they should have come to the candidates for Luke. Exactly. So that's a pretty cool battle. That's a little, pretty cool battle and another great Rex fact. This is full of it. And of course, in 1013, Sven conquers uh, England. Which, I have to say, how many times have we said the, those words? Not many. Well, just the ones. Uh, well, oh, well, glorious revolution, I suppose. Oh, Canute. I take it back. But <laughs> we said it a few <laughs> times, but not many. <laughs> not many, and we've rewarded it heavily. Uh, what the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle does say, Before the month of August came King Sven with his fleet to Sandwich. He went very quickly about East Anglia into the Humber's mouth, and so upward along the Trent till he came to Gainsborough. Earl Uchtred and all Northumbria quickly bowed to him, as did all the people of Lindsay, then the people of the five boroughs. He was given hostages from each shire. When he understood that all the people had submitted to him, he bade that his force should be provisioned and horsed, getting ready to go south. He went south, <laughs> with the main part of the invasion force, while some of the invasion force, as well as the hostages, were with his son Canute. The Canute? The Canute, so right. Canute is there along with him. After he came over Watling Street, they went to Oxford, and the town dwellers soon bowed to him and gave hostages. From there they went to Winchester, and the people did the same, then eastwards to London. Why would he take hostages as insurance? Yeah, as insurance. Yeah. So it's not that he's, everyone's just sort of saying, yeah, you're right, on you go. He's, you know, he's doing, yeah, it, doing it properly. Um, and then, as you say, he is fully acknowledged as king when he turns to Gainsborough. Now, if you think about it, he arrives in Sandwich sort of about late July, and it was Christmas Day, in effect, that Ethelred gives up the ghost. It's always Christmas Day. Well, Christmas. him and, um, for conquerors, I mean. Yeah, William. Mm. Um, so, this is just five months that he's conquered the whole country. It took, actually... Without took, cars or yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> William the Conqueror, it took him years to subdue the North and finally... Well, to so subdue it, of course. Yeah. But very strong leadership, obviously, by Sven, and huge organisation. Mm. And he obviously must have planned this. He knew what he was doing, showed how he understood the way that England yeah. operated. And he has an empire. He's king of Denmark from 986 to 1014. Overlord of Norway, sort of in two spells, either side of Olaf. King of Sweden's his stepson-in-law. Jarl Eric in Norway, then afterwards his actual son-in-law, so he's really dominant in Scandinavia. Then, of course, um, he's king in England. And it took Canute until 1016 to win England back, and he loses dominance over Norway in the process. His brother was king of Denmark initially, so it's probably not until about 1028 that Canute is able to get back where Sven was in five months yeah I don't know what you could say to make this not an epic score well I'm going to try okay we do have to acknowledge the fact that Sven is facing pretty woeful opposition mm. in the form of Ethelred the Unready yeah that's yeah. not a man that sends a shiver down your spine <laughs> no it's not his reign has some achievements in church building legal reforms it's a very advanced political 
system. Mm. Hence why they're able to raise so much money and taxes to yeah, give to the Vikings. Give to them all. But it's very weak leadership. 1006-07 is a classic example. He was wintering in Shropshire, mm. a bit further away from damage, while it's, the Wessex... Um, Sven was? Uh, no, it was... Um, Ethelred. Ethelred was in Shropshire, while Sven was harrying the Winchester and Wessex, the right. heartlands of his old kingdom. So he's not there. He's never really at the head of an army. The old guard of his nobility had died off in the 980s, and Britnos' sort of heroic death was really an exception to the rule. Mm. And he's indeed the last sort of, of that old guard who really knew what he was doing. There was a palace coup of sorts in 1006, and a man, Edric Striona, became Ethelred's favourite. Yeah. And this was this sort of treacherous man. He betrayed Edmund Ironside later. Oh, yeah, very dodgy. Yeah. England starting to splinter effectively into local states is no longer forming a national mm. response to the Vikings. Mm. So while Denmark is getting stronger and centralised, England is almost yeah. regressing back to the old days. When we think of the navy, um, Alfred had ordered um, a new design to defend the shores of England. Edward the Elder gathered about 100 ships in 911. Athelstan attacked Scotland by land and sea, 934. Uh, Edgar the Peaceful, of course, is patrolling the coast. Yeah, that's brilliant. In 992, Ethelred summoned all ships which were of any use. Which rather implies that since Edgar's fleet, they've pretty much not touched it. And it's mothballed. Yeah. Now, to be fair to him, in 1006-09, Ethelred launches a huge uh, tax drive to construct a navy with more ships than had been in England in any king's time. When he does it, he builds this huge... Is that true, though, even more than Edgar? Possibly. Right. Possibly a huge navy. However, the divided leadership of the Saxons meant that a man, Wolfnoth, absconded with about 20 ships. <laughs> Just nicked them. He did, a, he did a George V. Yeah. Was it George V? Uh, no, George William IV. William IV. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he was pursued by a man, Britric, with about 80. Hmm. And there was a massive storm, which ruined most of Britric's fleet. Hmm. The rest um, are lost, destroyed a bit by Wolfnoth. And thus, when Thorkell turned up in 1009, this huge English navy had already destroyed itself before he even got there. That is hopeless. Mm. The unready mm. was so bad, but do we credit... Well, if we compare, that's what Sven is facing. But in 1016, when Canute is on the verge of victory, when Ethelred dies, Edmund Ironside comes to the throne. Mm. So this is two years later, everything's got even worse, even more divided, even fewer resources. But he raises all these national armies and actually starts to have victories yeah. against Canute. We had all these great battles with Edmund Ironside fighting back. So it was just a bit of organisation that was needed. Exactly. It took Canute a big battle and victory at Ashingdon. And even then, they split England, so Edmund Ironside kept Wessex mm. until he died. Yeah. So that was what Edmund Ironside was able to achieve in 1016. Imagine what a strong leader could have done in the yeah, early 1000s. Yeah, with full ships. Yeah. And a united country. Mm, so Canute, a much harder f- foe in Edmund Ironside than Sven had. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. And when he does fight against forces, it's not always uh, such glowing victories. And the man Ulkel Snilling, in mm. 1004, um, in Norwich had been sacked by the Vikings, but they then were met by a force in East Anglia led by this man Ulfkel. Northcale's troops were between the Vikings and the Viking ships. Yeah. Initially, they were just going to give them some money, but the Vikings fought a heavy battle, and apparently it was actually a little bit in the balance, and if Ulfkale's orders to destroy the Viking ships had been followed through, the Vikings would have been in a rather perilous position. Yeah, so he's just got luck on his side, this guy. Certainly. So the Chronicle says, Many fell on both sides. The flower of the East Anglian people was killed. He thought, you know, if their full strength had been there, mm. apparently he didn't get everyone who should have come. 
As I said, the Vikings never met worse fighting in England than Ulfkel dealt to them. And of course, as we remember, Sven twice attacks London yeah. and yeah. twice fails. Mm. 994, Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. And this year, Olaf and Sven came to London on the nativity of the Virgin Mary with 94 ships. And they then continued fighting fiercely against the town and also intended to set fire to it. But they there experienced more destruction and evil than they had ever thought any citizenry could inflict. Then in 1013, London citizen garrison, supported by Thorkell, the tall, and, Ethel, think, oh, yeah, yeah. and Ethelred was there as well. So Sven had troops attempt to ford the river. Um, but as the Saxon Chronicle said, many of his people drowned because they did not look for a bridge. For, to, to, they just tried to get across. It's really deep. Deep, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's mad. Unless you have to go really, really far west. To... Apparently, I mean, obviously the bridges would have been heavily defended. Yeah. Um, and he decided against the siege but then of course he thought oh never mind this and went off and just got Bath to submit to him instead <laughs> right but you know he, he doesn't, doesn't doesn't manage to capture London yeah at two attempts no and also you were saying about how long it took him compared to how long it took William the conqueror but as you said William then had to put down the resistance Harry the North mm. Sven dies before he's had a chance to do any of that he's literally just become king and then he dies Ethelred still got the support of Thorkell, potential support in Normandy, where he's exiled yeah. and his wife is from, very likely planning a counter-invasion. And when he dies, instantly the Saxons just invite Ethelred back, which shows that there was an appetite. Yeah, for, for an uprising that he never had For an uprising against him. Now, for Canute, it's really unfair to... As I said earlier, it's unfair to say, oh, it took Canute until 1016 to make it stick, because Fenn hadn't made it stick. If you think of it like in tennis, we have a break of serve. Mm. It's often said that until you've consolidated the break, i.e. You win your own service game, it's not a proper break. So Sven, he'd got his opponent's service game, he'd made that initial conquest, but he hadn't made it stick. He hadn't, oh, because it can go back so quickly. Yeah, he hadn't really established himself there. Yeah. So he's kind of conquered England, but at the same time, mm. how long for? Would he have been there for ten years if he'd lived another ten years, or would he have been out yeah. five months later? Yeah, yeah, true. He, so he, he, sort of, he got there, said, done it, dead. Yeah, exactly. Before there was the any opportunity yeah. for anything to yeah. go wrong. If he's playing um, capture the flag yeah. in paintball, he touched the flag and then died. Yeah. But he didn't take it back to his base. Mm. A classic. Yeah. <laughs> that one. But, Graham, he did it. He did do it. I mean, he, he was there, recognised king of all of England. Yeah. By conquest of the epic battle of the age he was potentially at. Um, and yeah... Empire. He's got it all. He does. Doesn't have it for long, but yeah. he does do it. <laughs> I am giving him five straight away for the conquest for doing it. Yeah. I'm going to give him another little Brucey bonus for Battle of Morden. The Battle of the Sea. Yeah. It's fold. That's, that to me, mm. is one of my favourite descriptions of a battle <laughs> we've had for many, many centuries in Rex Factor. Mm. Um, that's got to be at least two, so we're up at eight. He's got an empire. He does. But I, I know, as you say, there is there's some there's something pulling him down, like the other fellow's armor under the cold ocean. <laughs> so I think at that point, I won't consider it, and much like he did, just run away and stick at eight yeah. and die. Yeah. So he's got eight. Yeah. Okay. Eight. I think I'm, I, I completely agree with that. I'm going to give him an ace as well. Okay. It's very, very impressive. I think just the only thing which stops it being even bigger 
is that he doesn't have a big battle to actually conquer England mm. like Hastings yeah. for William the Conqueror or Ashington for Canute. Mm. And he doesn't then be able to quite back it up mm. by not dying instantly. Yeah. But you wouldn't want to tell him that. <clears throat> I wouldn't want to tell him that. He's he's a pretty formidable yeah. chap. Because I bet he is probably pretty good at battling this. So eight. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a 16 for battling this. Very good. Scandal. Unfortunately, because we don't have much evidence about his life, we don't have much evidence of scandal. It's all back. Surely he's got something. I mean, I imagine, I can only imagine <laughs> what he got <laughs> yeah. up to. Yeah, I, I don't <clears throat> reckon we could probably exaggerate what he's got <laughs> up to. But at the same time, we just don't have any stories or evidence. All I can, can we make something up? Well, I mean, <laughs> what we do know is that he kicks his own father off the throne. Oh, yeah. Which, and all the stuff in Rex Factor, we never, no one ever actually did that. Really? No one kicked their own father. What about Henry II's son, ch- third's children? Uh, well, Henry II's children did rebel against him. But, yeah. But unsuccessfully. They yeah. didn't actually kick him off. I suppose okay. he, Henry II did die when Richard Lionheart was rebelling against him, but Henry wasn't actually... Removed okay. from the throne. I'm surprised. We always they always have rebellious sons. The Georges just sort of fell out. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. Well, but to actually go yeah. the full hog. Trigverson, Olaf Trigverson may have been his brother in law. That's another yeah. sort of family relation <laughs> yeah. that he's put to bed. And you know, he doesn't have any claim to the throne of England whatsoever. So Ethelred the already he's just kicking him off because he's like, eh, not good enough. No, yeah. I love this speculation. It's so nice and refreshing after we can document day yes. by day in a diary. You think of all the Viking pillaging and raiding. I mean, you must have done a lot of awful things. Yeah. yeah. Really, really bad. What was that thing he was doing at that person's tomb where he was saying nasty things about them and then... Oh, Ed- Edmund the Martyr. Yeah. And then he got speared by the saint. Yes, yeah. Mm. So, mouthing off about this fella. Yeah. But there's not... Is there not even anything in any... Cro- the- no, because the thing is, there's like this, Olaf is one who kind of has more of the sagas written about him, or Canutes, who of course they praise him in all these sorts of ways, so... Right. we just got your traditional... I can't help but think this is skewing the score, though. Can, we, can I give him something for <laughs> just being a Viking? Which said that he did all of this pillaging and raping and stealing. Well, it wasn't stealing, he was just paid. Well, <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't been to do any killing for a while. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, so... One for rape, one for murder, one for theft. Yeah. And one for his father. That's a four. Sounds like a song. <laughs> one for rape, one for... <laughs> okay, four. Uh, that's speculative four, but it's I just need to... It's a very speculative it. four. Yeah. I think, I think I'm going to have to say two, mm. just because we just don't have the evidence for it. As you say, I'm sure he did plenty of stuff which in and of themselves would have been tens. Yeah. But we just don't have the evidence for him having done it. Is this bad me saying, just making up a score for it? I'm not making up. He definitely <laughs> did those things. He definitely did those things. But they all did that. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy. I was saying before. That's a six for scandal. Subjectivity. Well, you wouldn't imagine that we'd have much positive stuff to say about with all this, but we do have some things that we can say about him. In terms of his kingship, his rule, he is an effective leader. Right. We, you were asking why Adam of Bremen would portray him in a bad way. Mm. Portrays him pretty much as a heathen, as a pagan even. But this is only because he rejects, in Denmark, German bishops. Right. Which, of course, Adam of Bremen, who's under Otto, the Holy Roman Emperor. Okay, yeah. He doesn't like right. that he's yeah. rejecting the German stuff. Um, but actually, although Sven probably not very religious, he did foster Christianity. 
to an extent in Denmark. He built a couple of churches in Denmark, welcomed two missionaries from England mm. into Denmark. And he also tolerates paganism. I can't imagine tolerating anything. Well, he's just sort of letting it all go, really. He doesn't mind it too much. He understands the political benefits, probably. He's not very religious, one way or the other. No. But he's not just burning monasteries and things like this in Denmark. He's Mm. he's allowing that to happen. Mm. So if we were to imagine how would he have been king, Mm. we have a sign that he was able to be pragmatic about this sort of stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, He's obviously very sophisticated in terms of his diplomacy, all these ties of allegiance. So he's not just a mindless thug beating everybody by brute force. There's a lot of sort of politicking going on here as well. So as you said, you've got this dominance over Sweden and Norway because of his family ties. Mm. So he's able to keep them on his side and they fight with him in his campaigns. And William of Umiege claimed that in 1013, before going off to conquer England, that Sven visited Rouen. The cathedral? Uh, Well, just the place, i.e. Normandy. Right. And apparently he went to Duke Richard II of Normandy and made a, a deal that uh, they could take refuge in Normandy after invading England to recuperate and maybe to take any of their treasure. Right. So Ethel, um, Ethelred, who goes into exile in Normandy, where his wife is from, mm. it may be that Sven was actually thinking, OK, I see, you're trying to use Normandy against me. Well, I'll just oh, so send it straight back at you then. Yeah, so he is really um, politicking and mm. not just... Being your typical Viking, not just raiding. And yeah, he's not just rampaging, he's actually strategic in how he's doing it. Which would be better for subjectivity. Mm. Because if you did just have a, a crazed loon <laughs> at the helm. Eric the Blood Axe. Yeah, yeah, okay. So he's got some leadership mm. capacity. And he's a few legacies of note. Mm. Anglo Saxon historians love coins. Yeah, they do, don't they? And Sven is the first Scandinavian king to have his likeness portrayed via coinage. So they started to mint his coins, that's how I recognised I mean, basically they just copied it off Ethel, Ethelred yeah. and the Saxon coins. But yes, it's under Sven, first time right. Denmark has coins, and with Sven on the coin. Right, but not in England, sorry. Not, not in England, right, but okay. in Denmark. Yeah. Um, Swansea, in Wales, is thought to be named after... Sven's port. Yeah. That's great, Rex Pat. I enjoyed that. So he's got a little bit of a legacy mm. in Wales. And of course, he's got the legacy in the personage of Canute. Yeah. Rex yeah. Factor winner. Yeah. And we think when Gorm the Old didn't get on very well with Harold Bluetooth, Sven overthrew Harold Bluetooth, his mm. father. So he had pretty bad father son relationships, but Canute, very loyal to his father, is with him in the conquest of England in 1013. And Canute's personal chroniclers, like the Emma's book, describe him as the bold son of Sven battle bold son of Sven i.e. they think that the connection to Sven is worth promoting is worth promoting for Canute so unlike his predecessor Sven raises the loyal son who Mm. goes on to achieve even greater things yeah yeah I mean that that probably says a lot though Mm. that he was like a prototype rather than the actual well of course there are bad things yeah particularly when we look at it from an English perspective rather than all this (laughs) Danish stuff he only he did actually do something as king. He does have one recorded initiative as king. Yeah. And he raises a tax. Ah. Paid for all his troops. Yeah. Um, collected it across East Anglia, so it was actually brought to Thetford, but he died before it was all collected. So in an incredibly unusual instance, the money was actually effectively given back because For once yeah. the Vikings had paid uh, the the uh, Anglo Saxons. It was probably that the Saxons had raised it and when he died thought we could probably just keep this. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. 
Of course, there's the Dane girls yeah. in this period. 991, it was about 10,000. 994, 16,000. 1002, 24,000. Then 1007, 32,000. Mm. And then Thorkell got 48,000 in. 1012. The world's largest collection of Anglo-Saxon coins is not in England, but it's in Stockholm. Really? Because of they've this. got so much wow. of it. 60,000 coins found in Scandinavia against 10,000 found in England. <laughs> Do you think the impact that all of this has on the people in England? Yeah. Violent raids, and there's a lot made about Viking culture in recent years, how they're sort of very cultured people, they had all these artistic stuff and crafts mm. and trades. But the people doing the raiding were pretty savage. Mm. Mm. You wouldn't have wanted to have got mixed up. No, that if you were an English villager. I hear you're very cultured. <laughs> <laughs> um, England had enjoyed a period of prolonged peace until this point, the Golden Age, of course, under the Peace Paul, and then Sven turns up and inflicts 20 years of brutal raids, as we said, we imagine rape, pillage, plunder, mm-hmm. maybe in a bit of slavery thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not very pleasant. No, not, frankly. not the best. Not the nice thing to add. Although, he does try and set up a period of p- peace. Well, he raises a tax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and as you said um, the whole country suffered these raids particularly East Anglia that's the easiest bit but all around the south coast the south west over to Wales yeah everyone's getting harried and then they go really really far inland as well no one is free from these that's the terrifying thing about them isn't it you presume it's just because of the fame of um, Lindisfarne you presume they're just Mm. coastal raids but you really are as far as Nottingham all the way in all the way in um, Henry of Huntingdon, uh, writing in the 1150s, but on um, Sven's uh, presence in 1006, says, The audacious Sven reappeared off Sandwich with a powerful fleet. He was accompanied by his three usual attendants. Fire, slaughter, <laughs> And all England trembled before him, like the rustling of a bed of reeds shaken by the west wind. I, I mean, they do all just, they always describe Vikings like this. Well... They do mention him by name. Yeah. In 1013, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle said that when they crossed Watling Street, i.e. north-south, they did the greatest damage an army could do. Mm. Which in one way shows very good leadership that until that point, Sven was stopping them from doing lots of bad stuff. Good point. But at that point, he let let them let loose. And as I said, in 1005, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle noted, a great famine throughout England, no man ever remembered one so cruel. So you think the impact on the peasantry have had all these raids, all these Danegels and attacks, an economy which is forced to just become a military one just to try and support it. Peasants are called into these armies to try and see if the Vikings when they appear. And it's so bad that you have this awful famine, mm. which is the only rest you get from the Vikings because there's no food to steal, so they hop off for a few months before coming back. Well, and this is what Sven is doing. Yeah. He, okay, he's not king when he does that, but effectively, because he doesn't rule for very long that's his legacy in England yeah well I mean this is all his doing it is. and then he becomes king so yes. the people are still in this situation with him as king and the only thing he does is tax them yeah it's not looking good it's not very good um, would you have wanted to have been a subject in this period no of course it was technically Ethelred's reign and he did pretty badly for it but it is Sven's fault well but yeah we've got this very brief window where he was mm. king recognised as king and during that period, no, I'd have had a terrible time. There are some reports that he did a bit more pillaging, even though people giving him money for his troops and they just went around stealing old habits and money and stuff. You know, <laughs> can't help it. Yeah, it's just kind of he's going shopping effectively. There, <laughs> he's just letting off some steam. Yeah. No, nothing. 
No, it's bad. It's really bad. I can't think of a thing. There's, there, as we said, there's evidence that if he lived for ten years, he would have had the capacity to be a good king, but to have ruled well. But would he have had quite a level of sophistication that Canute has? Canute, who makes himself the perfect Saxon Christian monarch, could you imagine Sven doing that? No. I think more of an iron fist. Yeah. No, zero for me. I think zero for me as well. He, you. You reap what you sow, Sven Forkbeard. You mm. made things very bad. <laughs> a very naughty boy, and this is your just dessert. So that's a zero for subjectivity. Longevity. In terms of his rule of England, yeah. he is king from the 25th of December 1013 mm. to the 3rd of February 1014. Wow. About 40 days, just under six weeks, about one and a half months. So it's a total of... 0.08 years, which if we put that through the patty calculator, 0.03. Wow, that's the worst. That is the ever. worst ever longevity wow. score. Gosh. Worse even than the princes in the tower. Crikey <laughs> Moses, they didn't even. They, all they did was sit around and get killed. Yeah. Dynasty, not the programme. Okay, hard to be exact about this. Yeah. Um, it's uncertainty over the identity stroke existence of his wives. There's one woman, Gunhild of Brandon, as we said, Sigrid the Haughty was the other one. Both characters of sagas, both probably semi, if not entirely fictional. <laughs> so we're not quite sure who had what children by whom, how, what the legitimate numbers were, but there are three that I'm pretty confident about. Okay. So we've got Canute, Death. Harold II of Denmark, who dies a few years later, and Estrid, who said is the daughter from whom the Danish royal family... Oh yeah. Um, in fact, was named after her from uh, 1047 to 1412. So really? it's the House of Estrid. Oh right. Uh, bizarrely, but yeah. So three definites. Um. Okay. Let's stick with three. We'll stick with three, which gives him a score there of 5.01. Yeah. Which means that his total score after that very good start with battliness is just 27.04. So. We now, we've got all the scores, but we've got to decide whether or not he's got that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great quality, which we call... Rex Factor! He is the prototype Canute, and for all the reasons that we gave it to Canute, are mm. all the reasons why we can't give it to him. Mm. He just didn't quite get it. And yeah, there's something pulling him back. He's got, he's, he's gone through, he's seen the Rex Factor score sheet... And he's ticked the boxes. <laughs> Although I think what he actually did was he saw he saw the Rex Factor and he was like, battiness, right. <laughs> yeah, he just put the I'll get this down. sorted. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry guys, I've got this in hand. <laughs> you think when he became king he was like, Right, bring me some nuns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean he probably I'm sure exactly It's hard. I mean obviously the big argument in favour is of course the fact that he does conquer England. Yeah. He does defeat Olaf Trigvison in this amazing On paper. sea battle, he does have this empire. Yeah. But he just that's not the point of Rex Factor that, we're getting that out of the way with the factors that's him on paper mm. but it's this certain something and that's what he definitely lacks fully something which he reminds me of a little bit um, is Ed, Edward the Elder who's mm. the second one that we ruled uh, the second one that we reviewed son of Alfred the Great and he was one we just didn't really have any details about him other than just all these battles that he was fighting yeah and it's one where you thought he just doesn't you can't get anything from that he's that's probably right. yeah, an amazing yeah. king yeah because he won all these battles expanded the kingdom but you think you've got nothing there to actually give you more than just battliness yeah and you need yeah. something more oh we've had so much recently we've been really lucky with all the recent monarchs there's so much info well the character yeah um, and 
this guy, yeah, he was ruthless Viking. But you kind of expect that. But he wasn't the crackers ruthless like Eric Bloodaxe. Yeah. So he was just in the middle, just, yeah, failing to win. If, if, if Harold Bluetooth had done all of this and we'd oh, had Bluetooth, come on. then, yeah. you know, yeah. game over. But Absolutely. So your final decision? Yes. No, no, no way. Sorry. And it's a yes for me as well. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a no for me as well. He's, I think he's justified his episode. Yeah, definitely. You know, he's a, an interesting. Uh, well, I was going to say not an interesting character, an interesting series of battles. Yeah, that's that it. he led. And that sea battle. Mm. If it was anyone else, yeah, that would almost be enough. But not a bad effort, Sven. If you just hadn't died after five or yeah. six weeks, you, fool. you can't really win the Rax Factor when you're only king for five weeks. No. no. Something that our current queen is taking to heart. Very much to heart, <laughs> indeed. So that's a no for Sven Forkbeard. He doesn't have the Rex Factor. No. Next time, we really will be doing the Queen, Elizabeth II. Elizabeth II! Um... Yeah, I'm pleased we went back to the Vikings. Yeah, it was fun, wasn't it? Nice to go back to the old times. Okay, see you next time. Goodbye. Cheers.